0: I want to share with you uh, just a few things before I get to the scripture that are just some reminders. You've already heard them before, but I know you to be a very forgetful people. And so uh, I'm going to tell you this uh, every week until Christmas. Our service times for our Christmas uh, Eve services are the Friday before Christmas. Uh, We have two services, and then on Christmas Eve we have three Uh, We are are so excited uh, to welcome you and just wanted you to be able to see those as the weeks go on. Uh, We expect um, uh, probably nearly 4,000 people to come and worship with us that weekend. And so that's why we ask our members if you would. Uh, let us know which service you're coming to. So just to be clear about that, anybody can come. You can invite your neighbors, your friends. They can come that night. What this helps us do when you all sign up is it kind of shows us where people are are settling in. uh, And it also allows us to make accommodations if we need to add seats or, uh, you know, add another service or something like that. We've had nights where there's people, you know, out in the lobby and they just get really grumpy. So uh, we want to be able to make room for, um, I'm kidding. Not really, uh, but we want to make room for everybody in, in here. So uh, if over the next couple of weeks you'll talk to your folks and let us know what service you're coming to, it's a big help. Our Christmas offering uh, for that service, I wanted to tell you a little bit about, and again, we'll share with you more uh, week after week. Our Christmas offering is that night, uh, our biggest offering, like like way, way, way by far, our biggest offering of the year. And we give 100% of it away. So we like to let you know where that's going and to invite you to begin praying about a sacrificial gift that you could give this Christmas to give away. So we have two partners this year we're really excited about. The first is Barry Tatum Academy, which may be a new name for you. It's actually one of our Wilson County schools schools, but it's a unique school. It has three schools within one. And Barry Tatum Academy uh, composes our adult high school. And just to give you a picture of what that looks like, the adult high school is mainly 17, 18, and 19-year-olds who for whatever reason are no longer in the school system. And this gives them an opportunity to get their diploma and really start out their adult life really well. Uh, It's a very caring environment. It's flexible with work schedules and all kinds of things. Uh, And what we're trying to do is just show an investment and love in these students and uh, adults. Barry Tatum Academy does not have a PTO like all the other Wilson County schools, meaning a group of adults who are pouring in their volunteer time and their resources uh, and their finances into the, into the school. We want to be that for Barry Tatum Academy. The second part of Barry Tatum is an alternative school, so children for who different reasons were not able to stay, uh, you know, disciplinary reasons or otherwise, uh, they go to Barry Tatum Academy. It's a, it's a beautiful, loving, supportive environment, and we really want these students, some of them are students that go to Providence Church, To know how deeply loved they are and valued they are, the immense grace of God, and actually the abundance that God wants to have for their lives. And then the third part of Barry Tatum Academy is a virtual learning academy. Uh, Many students, uh, they were telling us, are there because of anxiety and depression, not able to go into public situations, and other reasons that kid are at virtual school. And again, we want to uh, make an investment in them, and a large portion of our offering will be going to some really cool stuff at Barry Tatum. I'll be telling you about the next couple of weeks, ways that we can support them. Compassionate hands, I would think a lot of y'all have heard of. Uh, That is the place for our homeless, uh, people experiencing homelessness in Wilson County. It's the only place that's really uh, focused on that. Two years ago, our Christmas offering, you guys gave nearly $200,000 to make the down payment on the permanent building for Compassionate Hands, which is a beautiful building in downtown Lebanon that 24-7 is taking care of. Uh, people without homes, and that number of people is growing within our community. And so uh, we will be making another big investment in some ways that Compassionate Hands is still seeking to love our neighbors, to expand their facility, and to dream some dreams uh, there for those folks. So that's where our Christmas offering will be. I know you wanted to know about that. Uh, We are also sponsoring 210 children at Rutland Elementary for their Christmas as well as over 100 uh, children through a soldier's child, which these are children whose mom or dad lost their life in active military service. So these are kids we love. We have a big party for them in a couple of weeks. All of those students in one week have been sponsored by this church. <laughs> that represents about, yeah. <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> Last week you guys gave about, there was about $30,000 of Thanksgiving meals that went out from here. Those angels represent about another $50,000 of gifts that you guys are investing. And so I'm, I'm a bit overwhelmed. We've never had this kind of response, um, but it's not just uh, finances, which is huge. Uh, all of like all of the volunteer things we asked you guys to do. The Soldiers Child Party, which is in a couple weeks, filled up just like that with folks. We asked for a number of, uh, we're writing encouraging letters and putting packages together for teachers at Rutland and Barry Tatum. All of those were taken. Compassionate Hands, we serve at Compassionate Hands. Uh, overnight, we had every, <laughs> night that we signed up for to provide meals was gone last Sunday, the first time that we said it. So all the way through the winter, you guys have have sponsored that. It's just really remarkable. And I want to say thank you because um, we seek to be a church that preaches the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that good news is always good news to the poor. And so um, what this represents is us trying to join in Jesus' vision, for this world and this kingdom which is noticing and giving and investing so it's just i just want to say a huge thank you to you for believing in this vision and and meaning it and investing i get to share with you uh the most remarkable story over the next few weeks of what it was like for god to come in flesh as a baby and we'll be doing that looking through the eyes of a very important figure uh, in human history, but certainly in the scripture story. In my estimation, she is the most famous woman that has ever walked the face of the earth. Her name is Mary, of course. And uh, I, I I wanted to check, you know, I thought this would be true, but I looked in uh, the um, Social Security records. Um, I have access to a lot of things y'all probably don't know about. <laughs> and uh, no, anybody, this is just Google. I just Googled this because uh, I wondered... I thought that probably Mary was the most famous name. And in, 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 indeed, in the last 100 years in America, Mary is the most famous and most used name of girls that we have named in America. It's not even close. I mean, apologies to Patricia and Jennifer, uh, second and third place. <laughs> Pat, Jen, you're not even close to Mary. It, Mary's double what the, what the second in place and third place names are together. And I just think that's so amazing that This girl, you know, maybe a 14, 15 year old girl who lived on the other side of the world from us in the Middle East 2,000 years ago now, is the most honored and revered name among people uh, in another place. And of course, her name has been translated into almost every language across the earth. And we're introduced to her again as a teenage girl in her hometown of Nazareth in Luke chapter 1. This is our introduction. It says, In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So we're introduced to Mary through the dating of someone else's pregnancy, which should catch our attention. That would not be a normal way that we would do that today or probably even then. And we're told that this pregnancy is of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is Mary's much older cousin. We don't know exactly the connection, but it's probably like a lot of you guys and people you saw at Thanksgiving, you're just like, that's my cousin. You know, it's like you can't really remember how it's all connected, but you know you have this deep affection for them. You're at family gatherings. And that's who Elizabeth was to Mary. Much older, but we can tell later they had a deep uh, love and relationship with each other. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, who becomes this important figure. But Elizabeth's pregnancy was a miracle in itself. Luke describes that story in the first part of Luke chapter 1 that we're not going to have time to get to today. But it says, God sent the angel Gabriel at that time to Nazareth in Galilee some religions and this isn't like getting on other religions but i think it's significant for us some religions have trouble tracking down like the names and the places uh, and the dates in their holy books, to the fact that some people are like, I don't really think that place or that name really existed. Well, not the Judeo-Christian faith that we are a part of. You can go to Nazareth today and say, hey, where did Mary live? And somebody will say, up the hill, around the corner, you'll find the house of Mary. I know that because I did that. I was in Nazareth, and we were kind of lost. We're like, hey, where's Mary's house? And they said, it's up the corner, uh, up the hill and around the corner. Uh, It's okay to be in awe of our ancient text, which is historically true and accurate and verified, and at the same time, mind-stretching, right? So we're going to hold both of those things as we walk through this story, that Mary was a real person in a real time. And that's very important for us kind of grabbing a hold of it. But what's being described there cannot really be described with human Terms. And it's there in Nazareth that Gabriel came, and this is a very big deal. Gabriel was known as the guardian angel of Israel. Gabriel was not introduced in Luke chapter 1. The Hebrew people would have known and talked about uh, Gabriel. Um, he was known as the, uh, the, the protector of Israel. He was at the left hand of God, some said. At the right hand was the other archangel, Michael. And we know that Gabriel visited people uh, before Mary, one significant one being Daniel. Some 600 years before, Daniel's having these crazy dreams. And the angel says to Daniel to not be afraid and helps him understand what's going on. And now that Gabriel has come to Nazareth. And Nazareth sounds like an amazing place to us. We've heard of Jesus of Nazareth maybe. But at the time, Nazareth was insignificant a town outside of galilee not even you know that close to the water the expression for nazareth was can anything good come out of nazareth and gabriel goes there to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of david the virgin's name was mary Someone's virginity is not usually our first descriptor of someone, and it probably wasn't in this time either. But the note is so critical to our understanding of what God is going to do. Luke includes it twice in the introduction of Mary. To a virgin, the virgin's name was Mary. The name Mary was a very common name uh, of that time, just like it is now. Mary uh, most likely came a derivative of the name Miriam. And Miriam was a beloved person in the faith of the Jews. Miriam was the sister of Moses. And traditionally, Miriam's birth was dated at the time of when the Egyptians enslaved the Israelite people. And so that that connection between Miriam's life and their time in slavery is very important. The name Miriam most likely comes from a root Hebrew word that means bitter, bitter. And so there was this sort of bitterness that the people of God carried with them through their time, which sounds kind of funny, right? But like some of y'all been feeling bitter lately, right? You know, it's okay for the people of God some of them to say, like, I'm feeling kind of bitter. I'm not really digging this. Well, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt and they were bitter about it. Then they went out in the wilderness and that's not the way they thought that was going to go when they were going to the promised land and they felt kind of bitter about it. Then they were put in captivity and lost their land. They were bitter about it. In the time of Mary, they were bitter because they had been waiting on this Messiah and they had been told that children that this Messiah was going to come and make everything right and save them, not this time from, uh, from slavery, but from their sins, and save them probably from a tyrannical government. But here they were always talking about a Messiah, but the Messiah never came and they were bitter. And the name Mary means bitter. And so you had all these little Marys all over the place, all these little bitters, right, <laughs> to remind you that everything was not right yet. Would this Messiah ever come? And the angel Went to her, this little Mary, this little bitter, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. The greatest angel of God comes to Nazareth, a nothing kind of place filled with former slaves who are still feeling the effects of their very difficult story, wondering if they will ever be able to overcome, wondering if their God will ever come through, wondering if this Messiah will ever come. And, And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, whose name means bitter, you're highly favored, the Lord is with you. The angel says something that stands in stark contrast to the visible circumstances around them. She's not highly favored, she's Mary in Nazareth. Expectations almost always change. We're going to see in Mary how the expectations are changing. I wanted to make this just say expectations always change. But I knew one of you was going to come to me and say, well, not always. Sometimes it meets up with it. So that, that almost is for you, okay? So just, that's for you who is going to grab me in the lobby and say, hey, Pastor, well, you know, sometimes. So that's all that's there for. Because I just really wanted to say, because it feels like to me that expectations always change. You know, um, if you've lived for very long, you'll, you'll, you'll know that almost always the thing that you're expecting to happen, the way you expect it would go, it doesn't happen exactly like that. So another way of saying that is most things will either fail to meet your expectations or exceed them. It's not purely a negative statement. But it's just saying that, really, you're not in charge. I'm not in charge. You're not the one determining how everything's going to go. You're not the one you're navigating circumstances, but you're not making the circumstances happen. So our expectations that are very natural, as well-intended as they may be, probably won't match reality all of the time. So your ability to, or my ability, to adjust expectations based on what God says is key to happiness in life. Some of you have been hearing me preach for 15 years, and you know that I would not lightly just say, here's the key to happiness in life. But you know what? I'm older now. I'm a bit more, uh, I don't know what I'm a bit more, but I, I just really think this is true. And I'm putting it up there with confidence that I think that most people, their happiness is connected to their ability to be able to adjust their expectations and not base it on their circumstances, but base it on the Word of God, what God is saying, what God has said, and what God has to say for us in the future. And the reason I'm so pumped about these next few weeks is Mary's the one who teaches us how to do this. Mary's our teacher. She's the one who showed us how when Jesus enters into our life and all of our expectations begin to change, she shares with us the way to walk through it. And that's why you'll find her name on birth certificates today, on cathedrals and hospitals and universities in every nation of the world, because of how when her world was turned upside down, what she does in that moment and what she says. And so we're going to let Mary be our teacher and pay close attention to her. What we know is that Mary was not expecting Gabriel, the angel at the left hand of God, to show up in her backyard. And so let's watch what she does. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words, at the angel's words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So Mary was initially afraid, greatly troubled, and she asked, what? That is the appropriate response and the normal response to when God shows up in your life and starts saying things about your future. You will be afraid and you will wonder, what? I remember uh, when my wife Rachel told me she was pregnant with our first daughter, whose name is Mary, by the way, and Rachel woke me up with her face about three inches from mine, which is not our normal custom. It was just uh, there she was, you know, I opened my eyes. And what I remember is that the green in her eyes, it looked like it was moving. I'd never seen that then or since. And she did not say good morning. Uh, she didn't say, hey, I have something to tell you. Uh, if you know Rachel, she pretty much just cuts to the chase, right? And she said, with her face right in front of mine, she said, I'm pregnant. And what I remember is I immediately went from horizontal to standing on the ground. You know, it was just this immediate reaction. And my heart's beating a million times a minute. And the first thing I said was, how did this happen? <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, uh, it feels awkward now. My in-laws were at the last service when I said that, so I was like, <laughs> got to think, think things through better. Um, but uh, what I meant by that question was, what I was trying to say was, I'm afraid right now. You know? And sort of, what in the world are we going to do? When expectations change, we're always afraid. And we question. So ultimately, that moment that I just shared with you, Mary's, uh, my Mary's announcement to me, her, her life has exceeded all of my expectations for my daughter. She's exceeded all of my expectations in her brilliance, in her beauty, in her, in her, in her personhood. And, and I would count that as one of the top moments in my life, but at the moment, I was shaking in my boots, right? So the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. This phrase, do not be afraid or fear not, appears in the Bible more than 140 times. It is said to Abraham, to Moses, to Joseph, to Joshua, to Ruth, to every king of Israel, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel. It was said to Daniel through the angel Gabriel some 600 years before, and it's said to Mary and Joseph. They knew, as good Hebrew children would have known, that that word to them, do not be afraid, was a clue into that God is speaking to them in the same way that he spoke to their ancestors when something was coming, when the word of the Lord, happened to them, and now the word of the Lord is happening to Mary, and she's clued in to that connection to the story, to the thread of all those bitter people who had come before, all the waiting that had happened in their story. She is now connected in with the angel saying to her, do not be afraid. God is changing the story, but he's doing it first by changing the expectations. He says to her, you will conceive She's not married, you will conceive. She's a virgin. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He says to young Mary, 14, 15 years old, about her son that she will carry in her womb, that he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. As if to say, young Mary, generations from now, centuries from now, in every corner of the globe, on the other side of the world, there'll be people sitting in brick buildings who'll be talking about your son, who'll be singing with their hands raised to say that he is the king of kings. It's preposterous in this moment, but Mary is receiving this word of God. He will be great. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She's told she'll have a baby, but as best she can tell, she shouldn't be able to have a baby. She shouldn't be having a baby. And so she's like, how? What in the world? And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She's like, what? And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. The reason that Mary can teach us is because of what God was teaching her. God was teaching this young girl who should have been insignificant and forgotten by the world. The Holy Spirit of God was teaching her and now she's teaching us. Here's how God says, here's how amazing things will happen in your life, Mary. Here's how when your expectations change, you can be sure that God will be with you. Here's how, here's God's response to Mary when she's like, how's this gonna happen? Mary, uh, God says to Mary, I will do it. I want you to hear that, okay? If you're wondering like how, If you need something to happen in your life, you need God to move. How's that going to happen? God will do it. Okay, I will do it. He says, I've done it before, even (laughs) recently, even. I love that because, like, you can feel the doubt in Mary's heart. And he whispers to her about Elizabeth's pregnancy and her six months. He's like, I've done this before. I did it just a few months ago. And then God says, what I say happens, period. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm not trying to summarize or have a pithy statement about how we read the Scriptures or look at the Word of God. But what what we're saying is that God's Word, what He says, will happen, period. But this alone is not what makes Mary famous. It's not what gives us the guidance on how to live. That's God's action. That's God's Word in the moment. Here's uh, what, what changes the game is how Mary responds. So here's Mary's response to this crazy thing that's happened, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or some versions say, may it be to me as you have said. So Mary's response to God very simply is, I am who you say I am. I love that. She stands in the lineage of, of a bitter people who've waited and they live in a time where it just seems like the hardest time ever. And God meets her with a greeting and says, you are highly favored. She says, I am who you say I am. I am the Lord's servant. And she says, I want what you're saying is possible to happen to me. And, guys, I think that's the best response that any of us can ever have to the word of God coming into our life. Uh, A claim to say, I am who you say I am, God. we got to start there because we initially have all these reasons why that shouldn't happen to us. Okay, I am who you say I am. And then we say, and you know what? I want what you say is possible to happen to me. I want that. I desire that. I desire this expansion of possibilities to happen in my life. Mary becomes the one that we want to name our daughters after because she makes the expectation shift by claiming her identity in who God says she is. She's named Bitter. She's a part of the nation of former slaves. Her people are the long-suffering ones. She's just a girl in a patriarchal society. She lives in Nazareth. God says you're highly favored. And he breaks through every... (laughs) Every excuse that we could ever have, every person that you think should be cast out or not included or not involved, God comes and speaks to them and says, you are highly favored. And and by claiming what God says, Mary changes what her name means forever. Nobody thinks of the name Mary as bitter today. So expectations almost always change. Most things will either fail to meet our expectations or exceed them, and our ability to adjust or our ability to not adjust to expectations based on what God says I believe is the key to happiness in life, meaning happiness is not based on circumstances but based on God's Word and us claiming it. We can be afraid, okay? If you've been afraid this week, anxious, or if your expectations, like if Thanksgiving did not go as planned right you can be afraid our heroes of the faith were all afraid who does god say do not be afraid to afraid people right so all of our heroes of the faith when encountered with the word of god were like "Ooh, that makes me afraid that's been a huge comfort to my life as a person who at times has felt very afraid now i say now i know i'm in good company now i know i'm in good company and i begin to take the steps of faith that are required in those moments. If you're going to be willing to be totally open to God, you need to be willing to be afraid initially. And then we hear God say, do not be afraid. So here's the practicality of this. All right, I'll wrap it up. When expectations change in your life, your first inclination will be to base your feelings on the visible circumstances. That's called normal. I'm going to base how I feel on what I can see that is happening. Mary invites those who follow her son, Jesus, to take a different kind of step, and it's called faith. Uh, It's what I like to call believing something until you see it. So the world will tell you to to believe something when? When you see it, right? That's empirical evidence. That's you've burned me before. You won't burn me again. Uh, that's, you're carrying a little bit of bitterness, right? Just natural, normal human bitterness, having lived a real life in this real world. You say, you know what? You know when I'll believe that? I'll believe it when I see it. But people of faith who walk in the steps of Mary say, I have a different way of looking at life. And that is I'm going to believe something until I see it. Mary, who had every circumstantial reason to think that this was a terrible idea that she would become pregnant, says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And what she is saying is she's setting the framework for those of us who come after, who follow our, her son to say, I'm going to believe in the good things of God, the promises of God, the word of God, not when I see it, but until I see it, which means we walk through this world, which has sure brokenness, people who are lost, the deepest grief, the suffering that happens to not those who are on the outside of the family of God, but those of us who are inside of it. And many times we feel bitter, and many times we think, how long is my wait going to be, and why is this happening to me? But it's the outlook of believing until you see what happens that makes us odd and distinct as we walk through this world, that people see us and think, what is going on with those people? And you're saying, I'm believing in what God said to me until I see it. And it is this witness, this light that Mary and Joseph begin to carry as they load up and go to Bethlehem when they had every reason to get divorced or Mary to be stoned or for Joseph to give up on her. But instead they're saying the word of God has come to us and we're believing what God says is true over our visible circumstances. Whew, that's not that easy. But it is, the, it is the walk of faith that we're being invited to and it gives us this deep abiding joy in the midst of a world that looks really gray and full of despair. And so we rehearse this Advent stuff every year. We hear the story again and again. We await the coming of Jesus. You won't believe it. If it's your first time on Christmas Eve, this place is packed. We're in here. We can't wait. We can't wait. We can't wait for the Christ candle to be lit. And we say Jesus has come into our world. Advent is not just about the baby coming in a crib, which would be enough. It's us actually saying, and we still believe he's coming again. And so we walk the same walk as Mary and Joseph, not as just those who know that Jesus has already come, but people with the faith and the assurance that we will live as if what God said was true before we see Jesus show up in our world. And so we live as those people waiting in a coming kingdom, looking to the sky. When are you going to come, Jesus? And our story ends with us saying, come, Lord Jesus, into our world. So, um, again, practically, today I just thought we might think about what were my expectations for this season of my life. Just take a moment. Just like, how did I think this was going to look? And you'll probably notice that there are many things that don't match up exactly. There's some really cool things. But there's some things you're like, "Ah, I didn't see it going this way. And then um, maybe even more practically, just kind of think about the last week or so. You know, I had expectations for Thanksgiving, how my family was going to act, you know, Um, hypothetically, you know. Or what do you think in the next few weeks will be like? And what if today you released your expectations to God and just said, I'll take take what you're going to give God not how I've set it all up. So let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, beautiful story and another advent that we get to live together. We pray now in prayer that we could just release our expectations for how we want our life to go and how we want everything to look and how we want everything to be set up. We just release that to you. Sometimes circumstances make us do that, but we do that just now. We just say, we know that everything's not going to go exactly the way we set it up, and we release that to you. And we say the prayer of Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So I invite you in your heart just to pray some, any kind of prayer like that, just to say, God, I, I want what you want for my life. I want your word to be fulfilled. And as we come to communion, God, we pray that um, this bread and this juice would become for us the body and blood of Christ. That you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on the gifts. And as we receive it, we would be encouraged. um, We'd hear you saying who we really are, the people of God, beloved sons and daughters. And we uh, receive this as a way of communing with you. In Jesus' name, amen.